Well, friends, welcome. Life-changing. That's the catchphrase you hear around a lot lately. In the latest promo for the TV uh, show House Rules, one of the contestants on seeing the renovation to his house told the other competitors that what they'd done to his home had changed their lives. And we're told that winning lotto will change our lives. And there are programs, aren't there, on tree change and sea change where people decide to make a change of lifestyle. People are even escaping to the country to change their lives. And lifestyle choice is all the rage. And now in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, people are taking the opportunity during lockdown to do life-changing things like losing weight, getting fit, starting a new hobby, learning a new skill, decluttering, you name it, people are doing it. It's like a, a huge New Year's resolution opportunity. Practice makes things habitual. And that releases bandwidth for us to, to focus on important things. And that's what's happening during the, the lockdown. People are getting space, um, increasing their bandwidth so they can concentrate on other things. Here at Menai Anglican Church, we're interchanging lives as well. It's in our purpose statement. And so we thought, seeing as there is now some opportunity to make life changes, it would be a good opportunity for us to work through what the Bible says about changing our lives. We're going to look at some of what Christians have called down through the ages, the spiritual disciplines. It's a bit misleading, really, calling them spiritual because God is not just interested in spiritual change. He's interested in the whole of our lives, including our relationships, our behaviour, our jobs, our finances, our values, our health, you name it. God is interested in the whole person. And the spiritual disciplines will help us to develop as whole people. And now, during the lockdown, would be a great time to put into place some real life changes that will have eternal benefits. But why the disciplines? In his book titled The Life You Always Wanted, John Ortberg says, and I quote, Imagine a group of people turn up at your home one day and announce that they're from the Olympic Committee and they've been running stats on every person in the country and checking their doctor's records and school records, running stats um, on their bone structure, on their muscle type. And they've come to the conclusion that you are uniquely fitted and gifted to win a gold medal in the Olympic marathon. It's the chance of a lifetime. You're on the squad. And you're amazed because you've never really excelled at sport. But now you are energised. Now you are passionate. You see this as a once-in-a-lifetime chance to do something great. It becomes the great passion of your life. You grasp it with both hands. It's now what you live for. But it dawns on you fairly early on in the piece that you will not win a medal or even just finish a marathon if all you do is try hard. You need to train. And Ortberg says when it comes to winning a marathon, trying hard won't cut it. And if you leave today from our broadcast with one, just one thing, it should be this, 
We need to train ourselves to be godly, not just try hard. This is what St. Paul says in the letter to his mate Timothy. He says, Have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. So how do you train yourself to be godly? We'll look at that in a moment. But notice what else he says here. Physical training is of some value, but it doesn't compare with godliness. Because physical training helps physically, but he says godliness has value for all things, for the whole of life. Your spiritual health affects everything. Your physical health, your emotional health, your relational health, you name it. There's been some research done at the Mayo Clinic in the United States, and it concluded this. Most studies have shown that religious involvement and spirituality are associated with better health outcomes, including greater longevity, coping skills, and health-related quality of life, even during terminal illness, and less anxiety, depression, and suicide. Several studies have shown that addressing the spiritual needs of the patient may enhance recovery from illness. End of quote. Over, over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at number of these disciplines, these spiritual disciplines. And as we go through, you may notice that many of these disciplines are popular in our regular culture around us, our secular culture. Things like rest, being mentored, living simply, celebrating, fasting, meditation, self-examination. They're things that Christians have been practicing and writing about for many centuries. And it seems that the secular culture is now grabbing hold of some of these things. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because God is the author of all of life. But the difference is, we'll be looking at what the author of life says about these things, not just our culture. But before we take a look at some of these disciplines, uh, and particularly today we're going to look at living simply, we need to get a couple of things nailed down. The disciplines are not the goal. This is not about obeying religious rules and getting brownie points for doing things. Because Jesus was never interested in rule keeping. He was interested in our hearts. Our actions should flow out of our hearts. The real question is not, am I keeping the spiritual disciplines? But what sort of person am I becoming? The disciplines, you see, don't give us real life. God does. Through repentance and faith in Jesus. The disciplines are just meant to put us in a place where we can better hear God and better respond to God. I remember once going to talk with a couple in their home about baptising their baby. And the father wasn't all that interested in the whole process and he kept the TV on the whole time I was there and his eyes kept flicking from me to the TV screen. Turning off the TV allowed us to properly hear each other and respond to each other and so that's what we finally did. The spiritual disciplines do the same thing. It's like turning off the TV in that conversation. They put us in a place where we can be more responsive to God, where we can grow into the person God's made us to be. There is no definitive list of the spiritual disciplines. They're just habits 
or ways of life that put us where God can more easily work with us to change our lives. A good illustration of that is Alcoholics Anonymous. AA is based around the concept that willpower alone is not enough to bring about permanent change. AA says, I must, I must arrange my life around certain disciplines or practices, such as taking a ruthless inventory of my life, confessing my faults, attending meetings regularly. All those things will enable me to do what willpower alone will not let me do. And so with AA, I must enter a life of training for sobriety. And so training to be godly will involve actions, but actions don't make us right with God. Jesus has done that. Check out last week's Easter sermons if you want more details about that. So the, dif- the, the disciplines are all about forming helpful habits. And a habit is something you do without really thinking about it. Remember how hard it was learning to drive a car? It took all of your concentration, especially if you were learning to drive a manual. But after a while, you don't even have to think about what you're doing. Changing gears, putting the clutch in, all those things come naturally. You can even carry out a conversation while you're driving or even think about other things, although you still need to concentrate on the road. But you don't have to think to yourself, oh, I'd better brake so I'll lift my foot off the accelerator and put it on the brake. It just happens without conscious thought. That's what training does. It develops muscle memory, if you like. So over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at how to develop spiritual muscle memory. So during this time of being at home and not having so many distractions, it would be a great time, wouldn't it, to develop some spiritual habits that will clear the space for you so that you'll be able to concentrate on what's important. So today we're kicking off with the discipline of simplicity. Henry David Thoreau, American writer and philosopher, once wrote, Our life is frittered away by detail. Simplify, simplify, simplify. Simplicity of life and elevation of purpose. End of quote. The German-born American painter Hans Hoffmann put it really well. The ability to simplify means to eliminate the unnecessary so that the necessary can speak. Greg McEwen, CEO of McEwen Incorporated, whose clients include Adobe, Apple, Google, Facebook, Pixar. Um, He's written a best-selling book called Essentialism. Its premise is not about getting less done. It's about getting only the right things done. What that means is beginning to examine everything you do and to start making decisions about what is really important in your life. And so I quote him, it's about challenging the core assumptions of we can have it all and I have to do everything and replacing it with the pursuit of the right thing in the right way at the right time. It's about regaining control of our choices about where to spend our time and energies instead of giving others implicit permission to choose for us. Well, friends, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said just that. But he went on to tell us what the right thing was, 
what the important thing was, the necessary thing. This is what he said. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, we've looked at that passage a few times over the past few weeks because it really is so relevant to the situation we find ourselves in with the coronavirus. Simplify, says Jesus. Make God's kingdom and his righteousness your number one thing and the rest of life will fall into place around that. You see, friends, there are so many things that clutter our lives and get in the way of what's really important the things we have, and even the things we do. And so the current climate would be a great time to declutter our lives, to simplify, as we stop doing the many things that we used to consume us and and used to consume our time and our energy as we're in lockdown. So in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster gives three simple principles to simplicity. First, nothing is ours. It all comes from God and belongs to him. Secondly, it's God's business to look after what we've got and not ours. It doesn't mean to say you're going to leave your car keys in the car and not worry that someone's going to steal it. But it means that I'm I'm trusting God in the end with all of my possessions. And it includes things other possessions, your reputation, your employment. We don't have to spend so much time and energy worrying about those things. Third, be ready and willing to share. Martin Luther once wrote, if our goods are not available to the community, they are stolen goods. So here are some suggestions I've got on simplifying life. Uh, Firstly, prioritise your activities. List all the things you do in your life and the things that you should do should be on that list as well. The things you should do but aren't doing Make the time to do that. If you think it's a good idea, plan when you're going to do it. Or it'll just be another good idea that goes on the back burner. And then number those things in order of importance. Start with Jesus' order of priority, God and his kingdom first, because if you get that right, he says everything else falls into place. Start some new habits that make you more available to hear and respond to God. The discipline of simplicity really in many ways is the one that gives us space to exercise the other disciplines. Don't get back into the same old rut you were in before lockdown. Assess what you take on when you get back into life. Work out what you need to do to work on your priorities. Make a plan. What would it look like, for instance, if I really did train to be godly? What would I be doing? Ask, what would my life look like if it was simple? And it's no good telling me you're not a plan maker. Because we all make plans if it's important enough to us. If you want to to go on a big holiday, you plan, you have to book it, you have to get your holiday set up, you have to save your money. If you want to buy a new car, you work out what model you want and you want to start working out where and how to purchase. So that's the first thing. Secondly, 
get rid of anything you don't need. Some of the saints of the past um, held to the principle that if, if, if you hadn't used it in the past 12 months, get rid of it. You know, folks, you've, you've seen those TV shows about picking, haven't you? Buying and selling secondhand stuff. And I don't know about you, but I have been amazed how many people are bound up by their possessions. You meet people who've been collecting things for years and have sheds and buildings and storage units just chock full of stuff they are never going to use. And their collections rule their lives. Now, they're just an extreme example of the problem that we all have, really. And if the thought of decluttering your life fills you with dread or even just makes you feel uneasy, then you are already a slave to your things. There's a show on TV called Storage Wars where they auction off storage units that people have just left full of stuff. It's unbelievable, isn't it? They often have thousands of dollars worth of possessions and stuff that they've just left in their storage unit for months and years. Now, we might not be that bad, but most of us have more things than we actually need and they get in the way of what's important in life. When you get something new, then maybe get rid of something else in that same category. Buy a new pair of shoes, get rid of an old pair. And thirdly, be generous. Hold on to things with open hands. So how does simplicity help us to be godly? It takes away the clutter that drowns out the voice of God. It takes away the busyness that drains us of our energy to do the important things. And secondly, it stops us depending upon things to make us happy. It stops us making ourselves slaves to our possessions and, and to what others think of us and to our wealth and to our security. Because Jesus warns time and time again, does he not, that we cannot serve both God and money, wealth, possessions. So simplicity, it's not an end in itself. We don't want to live simple lives because simple lives will make people impressed with us. Rather, like the other disciplines, it's, it's like a sail on a sailing boat. The sail doesn't drive the boat it does not give the boat life. The wind does. The sail merely enables you to be driven by the wind. And the disciplines put us in a place where we can respond to God with clear thinking and to make him our priority. So friends, here is the challenge. Why not make some life-changing habits over the next few weeks of confinement? Now would be a great time to do that so that they become just part of muscle memory to enable us to get on with what they're really pointing to, living for God, enjoying and celebrating his goodness and enjoying and celebrating each other. How about I pray? Loving Lord, thank you so much for caring about every area of our lives, for giving us guidance on how to live. And I pray, Father, that you will help us to trained to be godly, to put things in place, not just to try hard, 
but to actually make some plans to put ourselves in a place through these disciplines where we can hear you, where we can focus upon you, where the clutter of our activities and our possessions and our desires and our ambitions don't push you out to the margins, but bring you to the very centre because we understand clearly that to have you in the centre means everything else will fall into place. Father, please help us in these difficult times to do that. Amen.